would you like to know? Well, you should listen. Zoom. Cron. Week in review. Listen closely. Zoom. Cron. It's gonna help you. Then think for yourself. What the hell happens? I'm gonna tell you. From my in perspective. In the Zoom Cron. In Zoom Cron. Week, week in, in review. review. Right now. Here's an independent journalist, Travis. William, William Skink Matier. Okay, we are recording another episode of Zoomcron Week in Review. I'm your host, Travis William Skink Matier, and joining me, as always, is author and victim's advocate, Allie Harrison. Hi. Hello, Allie. So this has been a long week. Um, you are on the front lines along with me. Um, sometimes I am the front lines. Oh, we can kind of laugh about that now, but so much happens behind the scenes to get you guys the news, um, and you don't always get to see the ugly side of things, but this has been an intense week. Um, it started off pretty intensely, and it just kind of kept on going from there to the point where bonus posts I felt compelled to write, um, specifically on the date, February 24th, which turned out to be just a very very intense day and we're going to be talking about all of that so thank you for tuning in you out there audience that we cannot see but we do know you are listening some of you some of you some of you so ali our first our first post that anyone can check out at zoomcron.com that's the wordpress blog where i am putting out five sometimes six this week seven articles um, you can go to zoomcron.com. That's Z O O M C H R O N. Even if you want to read along, you can do that. I don't think most people are going to do that. I think the the beauty of a podcast is you're listening as you're vacuuming your house. If you're lucky enough and privileged enough to be in a house. So what does the Missoula County Sheriff's office know about the word deescalate? I'm going to read along. Excellent. You should, you should. Um, and you can read the question actually is if the sheriff's office knows what the word de-escalate means. And so what ended up happening last weekend, so this actually was a Saturday incident out at the Clinton Market. So Clinton is a, a small town east of Missoula. So if you're driving on Interstate 90, you would go past East Missoula, you would go past Bonner, and you'd get to Clinton. You would take one of the exits and tucked away a little bit off the off the beaten path, not too much because it is a gas station of sorts, is the Clinton Market. So something happened. There was an incident. It was a hostage incident. And there ultimately was an officer involved shooting. The suspect died. Um, it took about four days, I think, for there even to be a name released. Um, but to begin, let's take a look at the blog. So generally speaking, city cops aren't county cowboys who like to serve and protect for the cameras. City cops deal with city problems, and those problems come at a much higher frequency, I would think, than what county cowboys come across. That's why in 2019, the sheriff's office in Missoula had the time to participate in live PD. 
So the, the context, um, oftentimes what I do is try to obviously not just report on the reporting because there are reporters out there that are giving the, the basic facts. I like to sort of extrapolate a bit more, um, add a little bit more context. And for the sheriff's office here in Missoula, a TV program called Live PD was something they participated in. That happened for a couple of years. So the cameras would go out into the county. You know, sometimes they would be talking to the young ladies who were studying owls. That was actually one of the episodes. I remember that. Yes, you do. Um, <laughs> we may be one of few people who've actually watched the live PD mm. from Western Montana. It is true. It is true. Although sometimes, Allie, I think you underplay audiences since you think I am the only person that reads the Missoula Current. Martin <laughs> Kitson is widely read in this Missoula community. In fact, many, many um, of the things we're talking about today will be derived from Gomer reporting. That's a miracle. It is. is a lovely thing. But Live PD, if, if you take a look, you can see the canned content. Okay, this is edited content. This is pre-approved, obviously. Um, TJ McDermott, our former sheriff, would not have said A-OK to the cameras if there wasn't some larger agenda being served. And part of that agenda, public relations, narrative control. Um, narrative control is something I think about, though, when there is virtually no information released after an incident like what happened on Saturday. So um, I put a little context of the live PD. And then another thing that, that can happen, and this is something that local newsrooms are less and less able to do, is you send someone out there. Right? Yeah. Yeah, send someone out there. So there's not the personnel. There's not the personnel. So on Saturday, about five hours after this incident happened, um, Allie, you and I went out. We drove and we were able to both see a picture. Um, not a picture. We didn't see a picture. We created a picture. We saw the sign sure. posted on the window of the Clinton Market. The sign that I'm looking at right now says the Clinton Market is closed today, February 18th. We will be reopened tomorrow, the 19th of February. February. Sorry for any inconvenience. It was an inconvenience, I guess, to have someone shot inside the premises or outside yeah. the premises. We're not actually sure where the location was. But the gas pumps were still going. Yes, this is true. The gas pumps were still going. Um, that is important to maintain the ability of motorists to um, traffic their traffic along Interstate 90. Yeah, it's right off the highway. It is right off the highway. And so it's interesting because um, five hours, you would think there might still be some police activity. DCI comes in when there's a, a shooting like this. The Ravalli County coroner was also involved because you don't want the Missoula County Sheriff's Office, which is also the coroner, looking into their own shit, right? That's for right. other counties to look into other counties' shit. And then a coroner's inquest, ultimately, if that shit stinks. And every time, pretty much, the shit is determined to not stink. By the coroner's inquest. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think almost 100% of the time. Pretty much. Um, I would challenge you out there, listeners, to find any incident in which a coroner's inquest returned a essentially criminal indictment. But again, getting ahead of ourselves. So Missoula County Sheriff's Office, they respond around 1119 to some sort of suicidal man taking his, his wife hostage. And ultimately what happens, suicidal man is now dead. So maybe if he was wanting to be shot by sheriff deputies they provided a service for this man not unlike the service in canada the maid service and so this is the assisted suicide service up in canada oh yeah so canada is doing it a little bit better um maybe what we need to do instead of just criticizing the sheriff's office all the time maybe we should have them like give them some money since i know they like money you know give them some money to develop a better suicide assistance program so that they don't have to go and shoot someone 
you know, and, and, and really ruin probably some customers' days. So tell me your theory on this. You, if I'm hearing you correctly, think that this man wanted to do suicide by cop, and so he took his wife hostage in order to get, to garner a police response, and he was the man who was suicidal. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, and I, I, I feel my potential for starting to do some um, kind of sarcastic speculation developing, and I'm going to, I, I want to avoid that because this is a topic I don't need to be in doing that at all. Um, and so, and we have so much to cover. We are going to keep it moving. We're going to keep it moving. Um, part of what I was doing though with Life PD is showing where some energies were being put into. Um, or into like keeping our community safe by the Missoula County Sheriff's Office. And so to justify bringing Life PD into our community, um, at the time, I think it was either the undersheriff Marcelli or maybe it, was, uh, maybe it was McDermott himself saying that a lot of research went into whether or not to join this Life PD TV program. Yeah. So they were literally spending time researching. Meanwhile, my fallback question whenever there's a uh, someone shot and killed, which is getting to seem like it's more frequently happening by law enforcement here yes. in Missoula, is the crisis intervention training. This is training specifically aimed to give law enforcement the tools to respond and to de-escalate situations. And I have seen law enforcement successfully de-escalate people. It can happen. So what does that look like? Because I have not seen that. Hmm. So going through crisis intervention training like I did many, many years ago, uh, essentially one of the things that I recall, which is funny to think about now since um, I have such um, challenging anger issues in my own personal life currently, but what you want to do is you want to keep your response at a lower level than the person you were responding to. So right. um, when a person is, is in crisis, they show you this little graph. It's kind of like a bell curve. So a person is escalating. Um, they tell you kind of what is happening physiologically to the body, you know, the, the inability for a person to actually hear some rational commands, sounding familiar, um, mm -hmm. all this stuff kind of happening to the person. And so if you want to successfully de-escalate an individual, you need to be very mindful of your own uh, physical response. So um, you need to be keeping your tone of voice lower than, than, than he is. Um, you know, I've been in situations at the homeless shelter where in hindsight, things like just standing with your arms crossed can send nonverbal language that, that people can interpret different ways and can add to right. like an escalation. Um, so there's a lot to take into consideration when you're trying to de-escalate someone. I know that you and I both sat into the sat in the coroner's inquest when uh, when Johnny Lee Perry was shot by sure. by the Missoula County Sheriff's Office on August 29th. Um, I think that was 2021. The situation that we saw was about 32, 33 minutes. Yeah, of, maybe a little longer. Right. Of Justin White, I think was the lead the lead sheriff officer the lead sheriff deputy um, on scene. They were about 50, 60 yards away from Johnny. So mm -hmm. they were really far away. They were using electronic amplification to communicate. Sure. Um, and they just spent uh, basically 30 minutes in this rote loop of telling Johnny to put the knife down. Meanwhile, they were talking to themselves, developing their strategy of using non-lethal. Right. And then um, lethal, if he was going to take a, take a move to one of the structures out in this wooded area. So we actually saw the sheriff's office training or lack thereof when it comes to de-escalation. Johnny was shot. This man yeah. was shot. The guy out at the airport was shot um, last August. And so there's some links in this post to other articles that I'm uh, covering. And the domestic violence case where we saw the coroner's inquest where the 16-year-old had called the cops and then... 
the cops responded and were thrown a knife at. Yeah, and while while that that officer involved shooting definitely seemed more justified when you actually watch the body cam footage, there still is that question of training of was there any possible opportunity to have some line of communication open in that situation? I don't know if there would have been. Um, so it's going to be interesting to track this case and a, a handful of other cases that have happened recently to see what what can actually um, come out if there's anything constructive. Can, Yes. Sure. So yes. I see two things. Mm -hmm. One, it seems like a Hobson's choice, which means there's no really Th that good That sounds options. fancy. Ex explain. Okay. <laughs> is, this, is this legal there's, stuff? There's no good option is what that means. No good option. Because hmm, I'm familiar with that. On the one hand, it seems like what do you do in a situation where someone is holding someone else hostage? And threatening, I mean, so you have somebody else's life in imminent risk. And so obviously the law enforcement wants to stop that situation in whatever, in the least, uh, in the least violent way possible, if possible. On the other hand, we seem to have a pattern emerged where these types of crises are not de-escalated, but usually end in fatalities. And so I see this sort of duality here. Um, so I wondered if you have any thoughts on that. Um, I, I don't. I know, not specifically, I, some of the, the, the decision-making when it came to the Johnny Lee Perry situation is whether or not to use canines. Mm. And I mention that because one of the really macabre themes that's developed this week is shooting animals. Uh, ultimately, canines were not used in this situation, but um, part of part of what's just been hovering this week is is a kind of death theme that I want to acknowledge up front as I try to summon the energy to even get to this point where we're sitting in front of microphones today. It's been um, a bit a bit disturbing and intense thinking about some of the things that are happening and then not happening, frankly, uh, when we get to looking at Mineral County and some of the updates there. But I think um, since we do have so much to get through, we can take a take a move on to the next article. Would you like to do that? Or do you have any final thoughts on that post about training and what happened in Clinton Market? Mm -hmm. OK, let's let's warn Permaculture Man. Should we should we give him a friendly warning? Sure. Okay, so, Paul, if you're listening, Paul Wheaton, this is a warning. Even though you seem like a permaculture man who has liberal tendencies, historically, here in Montana, public access is when meanies by the name of Greg Gianforte do things that, that keep fishermen and stuff from going and having their recreational fun. So public access for those outside of Montana, if you're listening outside of Montana, public access in Montana, big deal. Big deal politically. I believe, don't quote me on this, I believe this week in Helena there were the public access people out, I think not not inside, they weren't able to actually scream and yell the way, the way they have in past sessions inside. They went outside to, to the freezing, freezing the cold. Yes, like negative three degrees. They are very dedicated, but... Here's the thing. When I saw this Missoula Current article that I read, and probably at least four or five other people, Allie. Well, that's good. Yes. There, there's many people reading the Missoula Current. If they were reading the Missoula Current, they saw <laughs> Deputy County Attorney Wally Congdon of Mineral County standing there. And the title of that article is Mineral County Commission to Sue Landowner for Gating Public Road. This was interesting to me because... Paul Wheaton is not someone I am familiar with. Paul Wheaton did not show up to this particular hearing 
or I think it's a county commissioner meeting. But when I started poking around online, I found that Paul Wheaton was indeed a mad scientist permaculture man. Yeah. So this mad scientist per- permaculture man, he's in a very now conservative county, uh, led in terms of public safety, serve and protect by the new sheriff in town, Ryan Funk, and deputy county attorney, Wally Congdon, who did actually on Friday admit to falling on his head and somehow link that to his case of pneumonia. We'll get to that. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that $20,000 is, I think, what it might take for Mineral County to open up this road. Otherwise, it's going to be an abandoned road. They're, they're actually um, running up against like a sort of statute of limitations. If about, I think, 10 years goes by and Paul Wheaton and his mad scientist permaculture crew out there growing who knows what, um, which is a lot of this stuff is probably legal now. But um, after a certain amount of time, the, the road can be sort of deemed as abandoned. Right. And then Paul Wheaton can just uh, maybe build barricades. He might be able to um, create a breakaway society. Um, who knows what might happen? So Deputy County Attorney Wally Congdon, he's, he's in potentially in court now litigating. But the... the <laughs> This post was kind of fun, Allie, because I actually was able to use some of your observations on a piece of popular culture. You did something which you don't usually do. You saw a movie. And then not only did you see this movie, you extrapolated where this movie might actually exist in real time. Oh, Um, yes. God's Country. Yes. The film God's Country, may it be inspired by Mineral County? It's eerily familiar when you see the themes. And actually, God's Country was filmed in Montana. I believe a, a big portion of it was filmed outside of Bozeman. I like your conspiracy theory. I think it. I, don't I think, think it's it a fits. conspiracy. I actually think it 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 stands to reason is true. Well, Paul Wheaton might want to watch this movie because um, one of the things that, and I did not see the film, so correct me if I'm wrong. Trespassing private yeah. property that plays a role. Absolutely. And it's also interesting because after watching Murder in Bighorn, I think uh, certain other counties might apply as well within this movie. A Montana film. The other thing that sort of delighted me, although I shouldn't take delight in writing some of this stuff, but at the very end, I was able to have a little screenshot of the G.I. Joe thing from my youth. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. So I just want Paul Wheaton to know he should be very wary in Mineral County, especially now that Wally Congdon's got his sights on him and the and the power of the county attorney's office in Mineral County. I mean, if they start if they start doing things like getting personnel files to the judge, who knows what they're gonna be freed up to do out there. I mean, they might actually even be able to electronically send a copy of their policies, past and present. Well, now that we know, what's the other half of the battle? Um, I think some action. Maybe, uh, and money. Spending money so, is usually, so I think, the other half. Knowing and then money. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So we just we don't need just the knowledge. We need the wisdom of what to do with the knowledge we have. You know, and I like actually concluding the wrap-up of this post on that. Nice. And I like the speed in which we were able to, to consume and regurgitate that particular incident, that development, local news. I hope you're loving it out there as we move on to the next post. This is, this is an area in which... Um, the local tie-in might not be obvious, and I might just force the tie-in just out of my sheer need to link to some of the larger new media efforts out there, especially when one of those larger media efforts is in a state of implosion. The implosion of Project Veritas and the lesson we can learn from what happened to James O'Keefe. 
So, uh, oh, I almost, I almost started coughing there. A little tickle in my throat. Allie, you watched the 45-minute. Most of it. Most of it. I think he said it was going to be 15 minutes, and then he kind of went on to or, over going. 40 minutes. But James O'Keefe made an announcement. Well, this, well, this was over and over. He said it was only for internal Internal, internal use. viewing, but it was pretty clear that he knew this would be widely <laughs> shared. Hence yes. why he was standing in front of a camera full clad in suit and tie. Yes. Um, I think you're starting to pick up on some of the elements that make James O'Keefe not necessarily the most sympathetic character, but Project Veritas over the years has definitely put out some interesting disclosures. They their their shtick is hidden cameras, finding someone on the inside getting a piece of media that they can then make go viral. One of the criticisms, though, um, and, and I think you helped me see that uh, this is a very, very, sim very like simple reduction, uh, simplification, mm -hmm. as it were. Um, what I, what I kind of tried to reduce things down to is that the simple one-word explanation, in my opinion, for why Project Veritas imploded, this word, growth. Huh? So I was hoping to kind of get some attention there, like get people to be like, what growth? What do you mean growth? Well, I explained, and I'll just kind of read what I wrote. Um, after, watching the after watching this develop online and viewing O'Keefe's farewell speech, I agree that the curious timing of the board coup, which came just a few days after his organization's biggest, biggest exposure to date about Pfizer, points to something fishy going on behind the scenes. The details shared by O'Keefe further indicate his ouster was a messy professional assassination carried out in bad faith by gaslighting board members, so why am I blaming growth for what happened to O'Keefe? The meteoric financial growth of Project Veritas, their nonprofit organization, is what allowed the variables of individual board members to infiltrate the organization. On paper, the financial growth looks like an objectively good thing, but is it? I mean, so you look at the, the little graphic, and this graphic was actually provided by James O'Keefe on this, on this video footage, and it shows the year revenue, year over year, starting in 2012. So you start with a nice, humble 738000 operating budget. You go to a million, two, three, four, eight, eight and 8.8, 12. So 2019, 12 million. And then you get to 2020, and you got a $22 million operating budget for this nonprofit that doesn't, in my mind, put out a whole lot of content. I guess I should maybe look more into what they actually have, have put out in the last 11 years. But James O'Keefe, he is Project Veritas. He is now out of Project Veritas. Um, he, he, he was like in his parents' basement or the clubhouse at his parents' house. I'm not entirely sure the, the rags to riches narrative or, and how strongly that holds up. Um, I can probably see there being some validity in him being a difficult person to work with. Ultimately, my takeaway, I'm happy that the Pfizer disclosures happened. I think we know more about the behind-the-scenes operating of powerful people, um, but at what cost? So, Allie, what say you? What I say is this seems to be a case of greed, not growth. Mm. And I like that. I believe money is an amplifier, so whatever exists in your heart before money comes in is going to just be amplified with, with the pouring on of money. You know, I would like to experience what that amplification yeah. might actually be, but you, well, in order to do that... Giving money to Actually, me would have to be something that happened. <laughs> I, I have a suggestion for that, and this was asked by uh, of me by a young relative today. What would you do if you had, I won't say the exact number, but hundreds of millions of dollars? And so it's a thought experiment of what would you do, the thought being no restrictions. And so I started answering that question, honestly, what would I do? And 
there are some pretty cool ideas uh, that, that come bursting forth. Obviously, I, I have um, a care for people who are in need of those funds, and so I, I would gen like hopefully donate liberally to those causes and to those people um, and a lot of other things. But it's an interesting thought experiment to have no limits, no boundaries. What would you do with it? And so in Mr. O'Keefe's viewpoint, and to be honest, I have not really followed much of Project Veritas or James O'Keefe at all. I mean, this was the 45-minute thing was the first I've ever actually heard him speak. Oh, and the benefit of being fresh to something like this is actually huge because you get a chance to see without yeah. some of the cultural baggage that he may have accumulated in the minds of other people, you get a, a sort of a less varnished, I think, look then. Yeah. So. Um, that's interesting. I, I was kind of thinking as you were talking, for some reason, books and some of the like rare pricey books. I'm like, man, if I had all the money and I was like, and then not just books, but then creating yeah. like a place to like house the books, sure. you know, I'm like, am I starting to like think about libraries? Well, it, yeah. Well, and then that's kind of, it, it's interesting because the, the effort locally here and at, part of the conversation um, that emerged was monetizing creative content. Some of the commentary, or at least one one comment here, um, I might not have been this post, but I got some feedback uh, about the conversation I think we had with William Ramsey, which, mm -hmm. which we're going to be talking about. On that post, someone was discussing the conversation that we were having about monetizing content. A lot of podcast people have moved to Patreon. Uh, Patreon offers a chance to have sort of behind the paywall, behind a subscription model type type scenario, premium content. And I've really been thinking because here in the space that we're currently recording, this ostensibly will be the brick and book media nook. And so yeah. using plastic bricks, which will be already actually part of the narrative, there's a picture of something dark coming to Brickland mm -hmm. that is going to be in one of the posts we're talking about. But monetizing content is a challenge. And it's really interesting because, you know, one of the chips on my shoulders right now is just the um, the challenge that I'm looking at. And I know short term is, is really where my challenges exist. And so long term, um, well, maybe medium term, I'll say medium term, I know there'll be some breathing room. But how do you make something sustainable? The Missoula Independent shut down in 2018, so that was our weekly publication. Um, you know, it would be it would be fascinating to actually have some other people as like paid staff. That gets a lot more complicated and and it gets more challenging. And I think as you grow, you can lose sight of the vision. You can really allow sort of internal politics and drama to to take up a lot of time and energy. And it's interesting to, to watch Project Veritas, what they've put out. And now, as James O'Keefe tries to rebrand himself, it's something to consider. But in the larger media landscape of what we're considering, Ali, it's it's really not going to help anyone locally understand what's happening in their own backyard. Sure. Can I tell you a story? Yes, please. So years ago, I had very little. Uh, I had... Uh, very little like, cheddar very little very little like the widow's mite sort of thing like you not have didn't have a whole lot of cash mm -hmm. but i did have a whole lot of heart to give to people that i need like, like who, who were in need and yes. so in this particular moment in this particular season it was a november several years ago and I had $20 to spend. And I 
really like to celebrate our veterans. That's really near and dear to my heart. And Veterans Day is in November. You started the 9-11 Memorial. Yes. And I always like to take... Here, here take, in Missoula. Yeah. Take, take a moment to acknowledge those who serve our country. Um, and I think that's extremely important. Um, so anyway... I was feeling kind of bad because I only had a little bit to give and I thought, well, what do I have to offer? Do you know how much that $20 was stretched? It was... That, that is not in my, my wheelhouse of skills. It was incredible to see the number of things a person can creatively do with $20 and how far that can go. Before, I, before Biden fed inflation? It's the loaves and the fishes. It's the loaves and the fishes. And so I think it is, if you have a heart, there is a way. And I, I, some of the greatest miracles I've seen, financially speaking, have been in the sort of Petri dish of the finances. Like, so again, money is an amplifier. So even if you have a little bit, it's like, how is that apportioned? I think our city government could benefit from that reflection and think like when we were talking about $250 million, for example, we can think of like how might some of that, even just a little portion of that benefit the least of these in our community. You might not know the perfection of the segue in terms of talking about money and city government that you just provided because the next post is about a quarter billion dollars. Oh, really? Yeah. I truly didn't know that. I know you didn't. I know, I, but you did. You, you provided a great segue because Thanks. on February 23rd, the post, the title, and it's kind of like one of those mouthful titles, the non-required million dollar skin in the game contribution from MRA to help realize a quarter billion dollar transportation vision. I'll take a breath. Wow. Yeah, and then there's that image of MRA, which just gets me all tingly because I know I'm going to be talking about gentrification, baby. Not just that, but Dick, Florida. Before we get to Dick, before we get oh to Dick, God. don't spit your water out, Allie. Before <laughs> we get to Dick, um, we have to read a little bit about this. Okay. Before attending Tuesday's Transportation Policy Coordinating Committee meeting, I already knew the Missoula Redevelopment Agency was planning on contributing a million dollars to sweeten the application for federal raise money, but I did not know the local match was not a requirement for the grant. See, this is the kind of stuff you figure out when you actually attend these meetings, which no one else can because it's in the middle of the day and it's not their job and somehow we get opportunities to check this stuff out. Okay, so after a little quote, um, I go on to say, referring to a million dollars as a small local match might seem galling to anyone living paycheck to paycheck, but it really is small when we're talking about transportation infra infrastructure and the quarter billion that could be at play to develop transportation infrastructure in our region. So the quote actually had this $25 million portion that I highlighted, and so I go on to say, now I know what you're thinking. Travis, you must be hallucinating this high dollar amount because the quote above only mentions 25 million, not 250 million. While it's true I suck at math, I assure you, dear reader, and now dear listener, I am not adding an extra zero by accident. Nope, I distinctly recall city council member Mirtha Bursera asking Aaron Wilson, after his presentation, how much the regional federal grant priority strategy, that's the title of what they were being presented, um, was talking about, and Wilson said, 200 to $250 million. And he did not stutter. 
Our multimodal racial, <laughs> racial, our multimodal radical placeholder mayor, Jordan Hess, also did not stutter because it's a written letter when he composed his transportation ode to Secretary Buttigieg. I, I don't know how to say his last name, and I spend no energy to try and figure out how. Fair. About why it would be so great to give the planners $25 million. The portion of the letter I'm highlighting shows how long a scheme like the Higgins Lane Reduction Plan is seated and which committees it appears in before drawing the ire of local businesses. Okay, so I'm going to um, just read this really quickly, and, and I want um, people listening to just understand that when um, someone like Scott Billadu gets up and talks to city council about how he's shocked about this lane reduction plan, and they're like, Scott, dude, like, it's been talked about, and he's like, uh, I go to the committee meetings, and so sure. Jordan, I think Jordan is speaking to those kind of specific criticisms to really show, hey, this is the provenance and this is the evolution. So this is Jordan Hess in his ode or his, his panhandling letter to Secretary Buttigieg. The project will address safety issues on the Higgins Avenue corridor through a four to three lane conversion, separating bicyclists and motor vehicles, reducing pedestrian crossing distances and creating dedicated left turn lanes. According to the FHWA, a four to three lane conversion can reduce crashes by 50% or more and combined with multimodal improvements stand to potentially increase safety even more for all road users. Even the meth users? Um, Higgins Corridor multimodal plans first showed up in the 2009 Missoula Downtown Master Plan, followed by the 2012 and 2016 Long Range Transportation Plans, the 2018 Downtown Master Plan, the 2020 LRTP, which I think is a short for the same thing, the Long Range Transportation Plan, and finally the most recent 2021 Higgins Corridor Study. These multimodal improvements that have been planned for Higgins Avenue for over a decade connect intuitively to other city investments in multimodal transportation, such as the dedicated bike facilities on 5th and 6th Streets and the proposed Brooks BRT project, creating a more expansive multimodal network in Missoula. So, if you're listening, I don't want to promote reckless drinking of alcohol. I myself don't consume alcohol. If you take multimodal as like the trigger to take a drink, you will get blackout yeah. drunk if you listen to anything in this town about transportation planning. True or false, Ellie? I don't drink either, but I imagine that to be true. We must be missing out because if you really just want to be okay with city policies and how little control you have um, and actually having input that's meaningful and substantive, then just follow along any kind of transportation plan and drink heavily by taking a shot, multimodal, it, it'll it'll work out. You you will no longer but care about you, anything happening in your community. You can't bike and drink either. Is that correct? Mm. Is that also considered a DUI? Correct. Yes. Okay. Um. So be careful out there. It's uh, <laughs> it's fun. Um. Not drinking and driving or biking and driving. That's not fun. But it's fun to actually look at this this infrastructure. Um. And to see to see how casually two hundred and fifty million dollars can be talked about right. is is truly actually astounding because we are still um, within you know three four months of voters saying no last November to a five million dollar mill levy. There was a lot of of just you know heart rendering. Please give us money. We have no money. And then in these situations, you you, you kind of just like you got stuff that develops and it's a big price tag it's what you do with it it is it's priorities so also tax increment financing the idea that required 
matching money wasn't a requirement in this particular situation. I used that in a few other points to actually make some public comment. And it's it, it was fun. Some feedback I got from a, a certain co-host um, indicated that there was some concern possibly that all of a sudden I seemed to be both calm and reasonable and even a little polite at the end to say, when I said thank you. It was scary. Okay. And that, I actually was I apologize really, I, I honestly for that. didn't know what to do. I felt way more nervous. <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, what I will never apologize for, though, is referencing Dick Florida because oh, – <laughs> Hey, hey now, I know that I think there was some enjoyment, maybe not by Jordan Hess, who probably has one of his one of his books by his nightstand. That's just my speculation. But you have a whole collection. I, I do. I do. And and let me see. I'm not going to pull are any of them out right now. Are you proud but, of that or embarrassed by it? Well, it, it wasn't until I read one of his books that I became actually slightly embarrassed because it was it was just, I mean, really bad. Just really bad. What what made it bad? <laughs> He, he was saying obvious things, not even in dressed up language to make it sound smart. It's like, I think it was one of his later books and he had just stopped even trying. In 2017, one of the articles I linked to is everything is gentrification now, but Richard Florida isn't sorry. So when you look at gentrification and some of these gurus that wanted to talk about how street buskers were going to like revitalize local economies, I mean, they, they were really just pie in the sky, wonderful sounding things that are now you look back and you're like, all right, Dick. I don't think your your prophecies have been really um, fully fully borne out, but I did include a little image of a, my subsection on gentrification. So not just Dick. I got more than Dick when it comes to gentrification. I see that. Yes, and so I wanted them, being the transportation committee, to know some things. I wanted them to know concepts like the fifteen minute city, which Monica Perez has been talking a lot about at her deep dive podcast feed that um, citizens like me knew about those concepts and were not supportive. Um, a local effort, or actually I should say a statewide effort to try and allow the state or to get the state to, to allow red light cameras. That's another thing I'm not in support of. And then tax increment financing. We don't need to use something that actually makes housing more expensive when housing is so often used um, as this justification for investment in things like transportation. Um, housing and transportation go hand in hand in a lot of ways. And really, I think um, I, I wanted to remind anyone listening online, you know, there are actually more than just just the few people that may show up in person to a city council meeting. People online, do they do tune in. And I wanted them to know that urban renewal districts, the mechanism for tax increment financing. Erds. Erds, yeah. When you when you got a bunch of these erds, the erds are like this funnel, and then you hear this like sucking sound, like, and that's the sound of money going away from the general fund into Ellen Buchanan's piggy bank. And and to prove that um, this can actually be a wow. fun thing, do you see what I'm holding I, up? I see a what looks like a Donald Duck Lego. Am I right? Or no? So sorry. you're close. No, 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 you're close. Allie's okay. I know that you got the I range guess. of popular culture sometimes is limited. Hey. This is this is Scrooge McDuck. As a Lego figure. Oh right. There was an image I used of Scrooge yeah, McDuck. I remember that. He was he was swimming through the mm -hmm. gold coins. Yeah. You know, in his vault. Um, this is just a, another little hint that that we can talk about this, but video footage, video is coming at some point. Video is coming, and it will be Lego, or I should say, uh, plastic brick related. So uh, moving on oh, from wait. the Dick Florida. 
I don't know if we should move on from we're, that quite we're, yet. We're not you, you're not moving on from the post, right? Not moving on from the okay, post, no. Go ahead. And actually, I can't move on from the dick because there is an excerpt from his new urban crisis, and I'm going to read this now. This is actually Dick Florida's words. Ultimately, gentrification... I, I stand in awe of that. <laughs> yes, I know. It's quoted. It's. I mean, I had to actually hand type this in. I wasn't going online and just cutting and pasting. I feel the veneration. Oh, man. Yeah, there's, it, a, there's a there's a golden orb. When you hand type it, it gets deeper in the studio. In, it gets there's deeper. Like, he's glowing right now. See, I've converted you. I, I'm glad. I'm glad you understand the insights provided by Mr. Florida. So ultimately, this is his words. Ultimately, gentrification is the product of forces that go far beyond the individual desires and preferences of the young, educated, and affluent who are moving into cities today or of the artists and musicians who occupied the lofts of the 1970s and 1980s. Gentrification is shaped by much bigger and broader forces, among them the large-scale public and private investments, ooh, PPP, public-private partnerships, Um, the public and private investments that structure the choices individuals make, and in doing so, alter the trajectories of neighborhoods and cities. The location of transit lines, for example, have long shaped real estate development patterns. A century ago, streetcar lines shaped the location of early suburbs. Today, transit similarly spurs gentrification by encouraging the clustering of affluence people around it. Isn't that some, isn't that some, that is some prophetic stuff there. Sure. As the Brooks Midtown development stuff is being looked at, we're looking at transit lines, we're looking at trolleys, we're looking at who knows what. We're looking at larger regional passenger rail being brought back, trains, planes, yeah. and automobiles. Well, not, not as much automobiles. Like I say, if it paves the way for the Hyperloop, come Lord Jesus. You have a great ability to bring in the Hyperloop. I have <laughs> a great ability, okay, to bring in transportation conversation, even if we're talking about satanic cults. Wait, 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 wait. Can I have one more thought on the last post? What what, what, uh, what gave you an indication I was about to segue? I, was it the satanic cults? I could feel something about the occult happening. So okay. I, I wanted to just commend you before we move on. Yes. On your decorum in the city council meeting because it was alarmingly refreshing hmm. to hear and receive the words you were speaking. And I think it carried farther than you know. Yes, I think I was listening to some of the ideas that Rosa Corey, the woman that wrote the book Behind the Green Mask, was talking about in terms of getting some impact locally when you're trying to change the trajectory. Um, and it's a very it's a very big glacial thing you're trying to maybe alter. And so my my prepared statements that got me point of ordered less effective, you're saying, than than possibly my transportation committee I'm saying stuff. It, it was I liked to to see your public comment this week and careful your heart is showing. I don't want that to happen at all. So William Ramsey. So we move on to the occult. Yes, we do. Um, we're moving on in, in a way that, that is, is really interesting because I, my first time doing an interview with another person. So, well, okay. So I don't just interview no one. I'm not talking to myself in a fake interview. There, when I did interviews in the past, in the last iteration of the podcast, there were, I interviewed people. So, but it was just me talking to one other person. Yeah. You and I talked to William Ramsey. This is another situation where you were less familiar with this person than I was. And so you listened to some stuff. You, I, I lent you one of his sure. books. 
Um, he gets very specific into some of these specific cults. Um, the Order of the Nine Angles from his most recent book, The Global Death Cult. Um, you know, we helped him promote his documentary that he's trying to raise money for. And then he immediately put our, our conversation out within an hour or an hour and a half on his feed. And so one of the huge benefits since he recorded our conversation as well is that he gets to put it out so that his audience is listening to us talk to him. Sure. And that was all good. Less good. Um, the feeling I get listening to William Ramsey as I try and redirect him away from some of the dark rants that I am hearing him make, not just in our interview, but in many, many interviews over and over again. There's another podcaster I listen to, um, and I sort of had a falling out, but I still listen to his content, and he tells some of the same stories. It's a good indication for me to avoid that because I know that I tell the same stories in real life to people, and I oftentimes forget that I've told the story to a person. And so sometimes I can kind of tell if I see it in their eyes where they're tuning out. I'm like, oh, I probably have said this five times to this person. But William Ramsey, it was a really um, great conversation. We didn't get specific, you know, it was sort of like surface level because I've done a lot of this research that, that he has. I'm pretty familiar. Um, Ali, what were some of your impressions as um, we kind of bounced back and forth a bit, um, trying to insert questions because getting just even getting questions sure. in was it was not the easiest so what were some of your feelings um as a takeaway from our first interview that we did together i i think it was interesting i had the benefit of having fresh eyes i suppose to mr ramsey's work and so i sometimes take a bird's eye view of things and don't get too much in the weeds. Sometimes I get way too much in the weeds on things. But well, up front, we let him know like, yeah. that your perspective has a Christian orientation, and he identifies as a Christian. My perspective is more from a former... Well, I'm, I'm still... I identify as an artist, but um, I really looked up to some of these people that now William Ramsey's research is looking critically at. And so as we're talking about people like Aleister Crowley, how that's impacted the counterculture, the drug movement, um, you know, some of the some of the takeaways for me, and I don't mean to interrupt, I'll just be really quick with this, you know, talking about things like psychedelics and the fact that, you know, I was kind of surprised to hear that there were a couple experiences that Mr. Ramsey, you know, hinted at having, but not seeing any sort of benefit, you know, long-term in these kind of substances as they're getting more popular and as they're potentially adding to some confusion out in this crazy world where, you know, I think it's pretty clear there's some level of spiritual warfare, information warfare, mind warfare, whatever you want to sort of, you know, call it. There's a lot of um, non-material things happening in this world. And I, I value his research. I find it more and more difficult to actually listen to some of the things he says. I think what happens and he touched upon this a little bit was when you look into dark things that some of that material might rub off on you a bit and i think one of the questions that i was trying to redirect a bit was to say well what is the response to darkness you know what you asked very explicitly what is the christian mm -hmm. response to darkness yes i did because and I said then, and I'll say it again now, that I believe darkness is an invitation for light. It's not something to be feared. It's something to be dispelled. And I believe that because if we have a posture that we are afraid of the dark, then that's pretty limiting. So it's funny because, I don't know why I'm saying it's funny, but um, another thing that you were fresh to is the concept of being blackpilled. 
I had never heard that phrase. And I don't know why that kind of um, I, I enjoy that you had never heard that phrase because some of these things, as I listen to so many podcasts, and it's just becoming like the the what's lingo. the word? Not not just lingo, but the short the yeah short term or shorthand. I think the the term is it's become shorthand, and so I forget that some of these newer terms are not broadly understood. And so this idea of just being black pilled, um, you can talk about depression, something like that. Um, but the idea of being blackpilled specifically ref refers to consuming this content, consuming maybe it's occult research, consuming uh, we talked like things about the smiley face killer. So we're sitting there talking about you know serial killers and different theories about whether or not individuals are more responsible or if there's an organized group um, that might actually be responsible for for some of these things. And um, you know I, I think the idea of being blackpilled is something to definitely keep in mind. Because there is a choice that everyone has, and that's how you respond to things. I know yeah. just in the last week, I'm not always making the best choices in how I'm looking and thinking about stuff um, because there is so much happening and it can really be, you know, so, so close and personal. Some of the stuff that I was asking William about was his awareness of like his own sort of local what's going on sure. in his own local backyard. And, and there was really nothing there in terms of awareness or much idea about what to do. You know, I hear other podcasters and I, I was talking to William about this. I hear other podcasters say, you got to go to city council meetings. You got to right. do this. You got to do that. And, uh, and you and I are actually doing that work. Yeah. We're actually not just attending, not just making public comment. I mean, you even attended the meeting and, and made some public comment and we'll yes. at some point get into, into that. But you know, it's, it's interesting as we are doing right now, what I think some other folks are just talking about. And, and I really, like I say, having books, I, I mean, I'm thinking about the library sure. and, and books is, is really valuable. Um, the, especially books with footnotes. It, it's a little dangerous because I don't have a lot of liquid funds and I still want to acquire hard copies of books because I think it is incredibly, incredibly important. I just got actually, uh, I'll, I'll pull this one out. This is a copy of the Warren report. The, oh, Warren, sure. the Warren commission. Sure. It's, it's next to the Mueller report. Oh, okay. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Um, but to actually have hard copies because then you can pull out the books. Yeah. And sure. we're not going to segue to this. This isn't a segue. But at some point, I uh, did I, get my copy of Kirsten Papp's Thriving Through Chaos. The only thing I would mention in this segment about that is yes. I think being blackpilled has something to do with secondary trauma. Ah, uh, yes. That is a level. good so reference. So when you're saying things like blackpilled that I don't understand, I relate it back to what I do understand which is secondary trauma. Absolutely. That, that is very much a synonym. So secondary trauma sure. and being blackpilled are almost interrelatable or interchangeable. Okay. So let's see if there's other things that we need to kind of look at. When I, when I did post the, the interview, um, and that was on February 24th, that was the beginning of the Friday posting. And there was yeah. lots happening on Friday. So was there anything else with Mr. Ramsey? I thought there, there were some oh, there, interesting. Yeah. There were there was some stuff. So um, a couple things about the consequences of being blackpilled. So in the current media landscape, especially as we're talking about social media censorship, um, you actually have to be this. This is developed into a form of almost etiquette, right? If you're um, being interviewed and you're talking to someone, you have to be mindful of the trigger words that can be used to deplatform people. So 
there are still folks that exist in YouTube world. Um, YouTube world can still provide you money. And so, oh, you know, sure. we've talked about money um, and something actually that's popped up again. Eliza Blue has, has popped back up and we're not going to get into that too specifically. But <clears throat> one of the things I heard about Eliza Blue <clears throat> and what the speculation that she's been able to do to help deplatform people that were um, criticizing her narrative. You're not just talking about deplatforming. Some people are deriving money. Uh, money is a livelihood. So if you're depriving people of a livelihood, sure. there are some issues there. And so one of the things we're, I mean, we're not posting this conversation on YouTube, so we don't have to worry about that, but you know, <laughs> William Ramsey is going on some, some really intense rants. I mean, we're talking about 10, 15 second bursts of it's horrible. It's terrible. They're monsters. They're killing children. They're just doing this. They're doing that. Killing children. Oh, it's monsters. And not only do I find that not helpful or constructive, it's difficult to even know how to respond to that. I just try and redirect it in those moments where he was doing that. But um, there could actually be deplatforming consequences or at the very least the need to in post-production edit out some of the stuff. Sure. Um, but he has no qualms about, about I think just going there. So, so more power to him. I have a question. So, Regarding the financial consequences of free speech, basically. Yes. Would you do it anyway? There are certain things that I believe, I mean, you know, maybe it's terrible to say, but possibly could be censored if it's truly hate speech or it's truly inciting people to violence or whatever. There are, there are moments where that possibly could be a thing. Uh, however, if you're standing up for righteousness in some way, as people in, let's just say, oppressed nations sometimes speak truth to power and they get jailed or worse for that, um, would you do it anyway? And I think that's the call to courage that we all face in this season, uh, whether your financial uh, like future relies on that or not, I guess is, is an open question, but... I think it's it's interesting because I've I've sort of in my own world come to a place place where I'm willing to say no to the things that would be comfortable in order to do the things that are hard. In the last you know two now going on three years, um, when people decided to stand up and say something, the timing really does matter now because as we sit here in February of 2023. There is so much more latitude when it comes to medical choices and whether or not to make certain decisions for yourself or your family. The latitude now is much wider. And so people that are saying things now, okay, it doesn't take as much guts, doesn't take as much courage. Um, when you knew there was a higher risk, when the, when the fear cloud was descending and, and people were shutting off any semblance of rational thinking um, and allowing the fear to take over, I mean, that was when the high risk disclosure or the high risk, you know, standing up for what you believed in was, was happening. Sure. Um, things are a little bit different now, but it's, it's interesting to just consider what you say and why you're saying it. Another thing I wanted to mention is, um, <laughs> I, I talked about David Politis because some of the stuff that, uh, William Ramsey has been looking at in regards to the smiley face killings. So this theory that, there's dozens and dozens and dozens now, over 300 killings, possibly linked to a organized group, possibly, you know, criteria that are looked at to actually select victims before victims are selected. Oftentimes young men, oftentimes after nights of drinking, often they end up in water. 
I was curious if any kind of overlap existed between what William Ramsey looked at in those cases and the work of David Politis. And David Politis lives in Montana, has done a lot of work when it comes to people going missing in national parks, um, touches on some of the UFO stuff or UAP stuff, however you want to talk about it these days. But Quickly, Mr. Ramsey was very negative towards the work of David Politis, very dismissive. And that's, again, something else that I don't know. It didn't seem like there was much awareness of actually the the breadth of David Politis's work. Um, it was just a very quick dismissal. And so, I, you know, Mr. Ramsey, through the trauma of taking in this content, I think has some tunnel vision he's dealing with. And he is putting out so much content. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm following his podcast feed, and so I see how much stuff he's actually putting out. He is putting out an incredible amount of content. He's saying yes to almost every interview. And I say that because he said yes to us. Sure. We're a very small, local podcast. We don't have a huge audience. Um, you know, I, I don't say that you know, unnecessarily self-critical. I say that as an indication that William Ramsey has a very popular podcast. He has increased his audience. He has... I mean, he's up there. He mentioned it in our interview. He's up there percentage wise. And I've, sure. I've heard other people when they talk to him are very deferential because they know he's really filled this niche and a little bit of what we talked about. Um, and then we'll, we'll move on. Uh, we'll move on in a second. A little bit about what we talked when you do create this niche and you become the go to person for all right. of these people when there's a, a, a lack of really sophisticated scholarship that's critical. You know, a lot of the stuff in the occult world is going to be um, supportive and almost venerating of people like Aleister Crowley. And so William Ramsey is filling this this new niche where he's a Christian oriented uh, researcher. And that means he is just allowing himself to get sucked into any kind of potential interview. And he has to guard his heart. And one of the things I think, the Ali, you mentioned is there's a video clip. Yeah. Um, and you, you sent him a link. And we're going to hopefully, I think, put that in the Insert in the, the pod or in the version on the on the website. So sure. the, the post will actually have that. And it's a really cool clip. You showed that to me a while back and I, yeah. I like it. And that's Graham Cook. Graham Cook's and clip. And he, it, I was trying to offer somewhat of an alternative perspective. So again, what's the response to darkness? Um, because I think to your point, sometimes you can have lucrative financial interests in somewhat propagating fear, right? Um, so there's a big fear porn. Yeah. Doom I, scrolling. That was actually the, phrase I was thinking of, interestingly. But it's interesting because that's not the only response. And I think that's why Graham Cook provides an amazing uh, different response that we could take in the face of darkness or even attacks that are coming against us personally. And it, it really comes down to the bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use and persecute you thing. Um, and you're holding up a Lego zombie figure. This is this this is a train conductor oh. guy, and he, and he's possessed. It That's looks like there's because scary. of scary is it the the train to hell or something? Well, it it might be scary if it were happening in real life, but when you reduce it to a toy Lego figure and oh. you put it into a Lego world, maybe it's a little bit more manageable. But what would Graham Cook say to that guy? <laughs> he's you know what? <laughs> I'm less interested actually at this point in terms of what Graham Cook might say to him than what I might think of Fred Rogers. Oh. And well, what Fred Rogers would anyway, say to him. I'm excited for people to hear the clip. The Graham, Cl- Graham Cook clip will be excellent for folks to check out. Um, but we we are now talking about Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood. You what realize does that? What have to do with the zombie train 
guy. Well, my Friday bonus post. The significance of February 24th. I, it might not have anything specifically to do. We'll see what I can do with this um, as a segue. So I open up this post because February 24th, I started realizing was was a bit sort of um, <laughs> interesting. We'll, just, we'll, we'll put it like that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the darkness that's descending on Brickland because I use my Lego world at some, I'm going to use the Lego world to help interpret some of these narratives. So some of these occult things, dark things, I have some Lego figures from, from history that will be hopefully part of the story. Um, if you are aware of like cartoons like South Park, use pretty simple graphics to tell hilarious stories. I'm hoping that some humor can help soften some of the potential black peeling that can happen when you're when you're taking in some dark content. But but Allie, you and I watched Mr. Rogers' neighborhood documentary. Yeah. I and made it, you watch it. You did. And I, well, I mean, I wanted to, but it really wasn't until watching that that I uh, realized 1968 and political assassination really is something that was at the very beginning of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Didn't know that was a kid story. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? And not, ju- not just that. It, on the blog, when I, when I used this little reference, I did find some, some link that described this episode. I'm going to read this because this is just so messed up. We actually, we, we actually saw the clip. I wish I could play the audio clip. I'm not that prepared and technologically savvy, but I will read this. Okay, so this is from a, an excerpt from a link describing the 1968 episode. This special program attempts to console children in the wake of the June 1968 assassination of Robert F. Kennedy during this, quote, disturbing time in our nation's history. Songs, sketches with puppets, and play sessions are aimed at helping children work through their anger and confusion about this violent death. Highlights include tree trunk resident Lady Elaine Fairchild hectors a reluctant ex the owl into taking the part of assassin Sirhan Sirhan in a ghoulish game of make-believe. I'm not making this shit up. This is insane. Um, Lady Elaine, ex, and Lady Aberlin discuss playing games, inventing aggressions. A dancer leads a group of five children in a series of games in King Friday the 13th's castle. Yes, King Friday the 13th and his castle allowing them to channel their energy in positive, imaginative ways. Rogers croons the song, What Do You Do?, which deals with anger and aggression. Lady Aberlin confronts the sensitive, taciturn, uh, or taciturn Daniel-striped tiger, who fears that people, like balloons, yeah. can lose all their air, and asks her the meaning of assassination. And Rogers urges parents to protect and support their children from the graphic display of violence, which has been shown frequently by the mass media. What in the heck is that, Allie? What are we talking about here? Kids TV, apparently. On PBS, nonetheless. I I was actually really shocked. I remember watching Mr. Rogers as a kid a little bit, not all the time, but I liked it when he fed the fishes. And I liked his sweater and all that. And so I appreciated that. That's really all I remember from childhood. <laughs> you don't Rogers. remember the assassination episode. No, when I huh? watched that documentary, I I was actually pretty horrified because you get a little older and a tiny bit more cynical. And you're like, what is actually being said? And he's saying it to these kids. It's a holy cow moment when you, when you see that content. Yeah, I was not expecting... Uh, anything about assassinations to be said in that program and dead fish too that was pretty disturbing to me almost equally so i was not expecting that he did show a dead fish in the fish tank that's right 
And um, oh, so so we can add fish to the animal. I don't the like animal, that. The no, casualty I, I, count. I hate that. I know you do. And this that. is this this was already not going to be an easy episode yeah. to record because of a long, intense week. It's not going to be made any easier by Mr. Rogers trying to like, make the kids no. feel better about dead fish and political assassination. It just you can't childproof assassination, I guess, and it's just interesting to watch him deal with that and actually i thought one of the more bothersome parts of that documentary was when he was called back after the show was actually done to talk about 9-11 and to do sort of a psa out of 9-11 which actually he did say some pretty encouraging words he said when things get dark or times get tough look for the helpers because there's always someone that's a pretty help. famous quote of his, but and I appreciate that, and I I abide by that, and I think that's really good advice. He was very reluctant to give those PSAs. He did not want to. When they called him back to give PSAs about nine eleven, he's like, "What good would it do?" So that wasn't necessarily encouraging. There's a lot more behind the scenes with Mr. Rogers than meets the eye. Oh man, dark, dark, dark. So I put a little reference into the post about apocalypse now. My daddy issues that. Um, I processed in last week's episode. Um, and then I mentioned a few other things about February 24th. So February 24th started increasingly getting the, this sinister sort of, uh, is it Paul? Is that a word I can use? Yeah. Paul. P-A-L-L. Not P-A-U-L. Okay. As a, as a fellow author, I know you can help me. Yes. And you also call me out on grammatical stuff a lot, which is not totally annoying because it's just annoying because you're right a lot. So, um, well, that's okay to be right. Is um, it effect or effect? Oh man, we're not even going to try and figure that one out. But February 24th, it's not just a time where a fake president who now is a real president, Zelensky. Ah. So Zelensky played a president on TV. Oh. Okay. And then he, now he's a real president, um, may or may not love cocaine. So February 24th last year is when this whole Ukraine shindig kind of kicked off, right? And then we also have in fiction world, we have February 24th is when Twin Peaks Day. So Laura Palmer, um, I know you don't know this particular popular culture reference, but Twin Peaks, the show by David Lynch, who was born in Missoula, St. Pat's Hospital in 1960. Um, No, I'm sorry, in 1946 when he was born. Um, David Lynch, his Twin Peaks show, February 24th is when uh, the victim of a homicide, Laura Palmer, is found next to a body of water wrapped in plastic. Hmm. So FBI agent Dale Cooper is entering Twin Peaks and he goes, he records on his little audio recorder. He goes, Diane, because he's always recording to Diane. That's like his secretary. Diane, 1130 a.m., February 24th, entering the town of Twin Peaks, five miles south of the Canadian border, 12 miles west of the state line. I've never seen so many trees in my life. As W.C. Fields would say, I'd rather be here than Philadelphia. Okay. Interesting, huh? Philadelphia is where David Lynch went to start making his films, and he got all, like, fucked up because of the urban decay he saw there. Um, Interesting stuff. So we've got February 24th being both um, Ukraine War Day and Twin Peaks, Laura Palmer is dead next to Water Day. And what else happened? We also, um, a brief little sort of thing in history, not not 1968, but in 1868, um, we have this. During the years immediately following the Civil War, President Andrew Johnson clashed repeatedly with the Republican-controlled Congress over Reconstruction 
of the defeated South. Johnson voted legislation that Congress passed to protect the rights of those who had been freed from slavery. This clash culminated in the House of Representatives voting on February 24th, 1868 to impeach the president. So, you know, this is Black History Month. Um, we've got all kinds of stuff kind of swirling around there. Um, so that was a post that was a bonus post on Friday. And I wrote and posted that before I went to a mythical land where the writ of mandamus is in effect. And we're not entirely sure if there's a understanding of the Constitution still to this day in Mineral County. Sure. Before we get to that, um, let me just review this post and see if there's anything else we need to talk about in terms of Mr. Rogers or anything else. Do you have any anything concluding for uh, for this post before we move on? I don't think so. Okay. So Friday, 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 Friday. Rabies. I'm gonna read this. The rabies cover story for getting drunk and shooting your dog? Question mark. Or the, okay. So as I was approaching the mythical land of Mineral County, the county seat, which is in Superior, Montana, this is west, about an hour's drive of Missoula, Montana, there was a status hearing for the writ of mandamus. Before all that excitement happened, um, I was... In a solo situation out in St. Regis, I was, without getting into too much information about my bodily needs um, when you're driving and drinking coffee, things that need to happen, need to happen. And so I was going to pull over for those things to happen. I saw who I am pretty sure is David Barsotti walking a dog. And the reason I'm interested in this is because of a potential case of rabies and how this plays into a larger case that you and I are very aware of. So the listener probably won't have a lot of context and we don't have the time to probably fill out that context about why this is important, but as an addendum to the overall mineral County situation in terms of how law and orders looked at, this is kind of interesting. So let me just read a portion of this and then we'll see if there's any commentary we can add to it. There is no shimmer or loss of time unless you're drinking when you enter the strange dimension known as mineral County. So travelers must be wary was I wary on February 24th after writing this post? And that's a reference to the post we just talked about. Not enough, apparently. I got in my shitty vehicle and jumped on the interstate where the traffic traffics people and things to get me some mandamus updates. My intention weeks ago for this date was to drive to Spokane so Sam Tripoli could make me laugh at a comedy club. Instead, I parked at the St. Regis Travel Center with the intention to pee. I use the word piss. A little crass. But that need turned into an opportunity to see the infamous wounded veteran, David Barsotti, walking one of the dogs he hasn't killed due to a case of alleged rabies. Not yet, anyway. After saying good morning to a man who showed no sign of a limp, because he's a wounded veteran, you know, and so he's supposed to limp, um, when I walked by him outside the travel center, I did what I needed to do and returned to my shitty vehicle. The vehicle this wounded veteran on disability got into was definitely less shitty than my child chariot, which is literally being held together in places by tape. If I sound jealous, trust me, I'm not. And then there's an image of this nice Yukon XL truck or SUV. It's not a truck, it's an SUV. I made sure the screenshot of the Yukon cut off the plate since I don't know who the owner of this vehicle is. What I do know is this wounded veteran has some interesting friends. There's another link. Go check that one out. I also know since I'm 
such a forthright talker when asked by cashiers how my day is going. And that's that's a problem. There are some cashiers that probably see me and are like, oh, shit. Um, that at least one person at the travel center thinks David Barsotti is protected by the local sheriff's office. Yes. So I'm going to I'm going to pause there. Um, West Northwestern Malinois is a Facebook page. And there's a previous post about claims someone, the author of this page, is making about being attacked by one of his dogs. The reason being the dog had rabies. The response that this person had to that situation was to terminate this animal. And there was apparently some kind of response by the EMTs, but law enforcement. Um, from a source I spoke with on background, there was a visit to the hospital a stitching of a neck wound and some other bites. But if there was any other law enforcement follow-up, I am not aware of it. I am also not aware of any actual official awareness, both at the Mineral County Health Department or the Missoula County Health Department, since I contacted both of them when I first saw the post alerting anyone following the Facebook page. Um, this was, I believe, let me double check, January 16th. January 16th. So let me read this post from the Northwestern Malinois Facebook page. Again, this is from January 16th. Be careful, all of you. I'm going through the rabies treatment because a dog, my dog, vaccinated and up to date, contracted it. His behavior started to change to a very aggressive dog. So I, like most of you, started giving him more one-on-one -on -one time. Playing, fetching, treats, anything to try and calm him down. I thought it was just PTSD flare-up. Okay, uh, unspoken is why this dog would have PTSD. That's a question that's left unanswered. I thought it was just PTSD flare up, but I was wrong. It was rabies. When he snapped, he got both arms, my left hand, top of my skull, and, went, and then went for my throat. He got it too, damn near kill me. But as I was squirting blood from the neck wound, I was able to call for help. The vaccine shots aren't fun, but what I want you all to realize is that the vaccine is not 100%. I lost a great dog and my best friend, and that virus took control over him, and I almost died myself. R.I.P. Rest in peace, Striker, my pillow buddy. So that was the January 16th comment. A bit alarming. More alarming is the total disinterest and inaction by anyone in official positions in Mineral County. Um, from what I understand, the going theory, so as you're in a, in a small town, let's say you're getting ready or you're just finishing up having listened to a mandamus update. Let's say you're, you're talking to someone and you're getting the feel for what the, what the idea might be. So the idea is that January 6th, I believe there was some drinking going on in a local water hole. There was some direction. Hey, time to go home. Something happened at the home. Um, not really sure what, maybe some uh, bullets, nine of them possibly discharged into this animal. Um, and then, you know, a visit to the hospital. There were some more details specific to the source in what I was told, but I'm not going to get into those because that might identify the person I was talking to. And from my ex direct experience, whenever these kind of um, blog posts or other things happen, um, there tends to be a lot of comments that start showing up. Um, so I'm very aware that there are oftentimes some well-timed, interesting, anonymous responses timed to either a blog post or, or maybe an upcoming court hearing. Maybe maybe that is part of the agitation. Regardless, 
Um, there's a lot of context that we're not going to be getting into today about this, but when you're when you're talking about sort of true crime issues and and some of the new media, there is a lot of content that's out there that you can look into the Rebecca Barsati case. Um, but this little small sliver is just the rabies picture and what may or may not be happening. Hmm. Anything you'd like to extrapolate from that or opine on? Did you want to talk about the hearing? I think we should. Yeah. Are you, are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So the, the rabies story was kind of like an appetizer mm -hmm. because the main event was the mandamus right. courts, uh, the status update. Yeah, this is the third writ of mandamus hearing since October, I believe. So a writ of mandamus, um, and this is this is honestly, even though we're gonna we're gonna do our best to kind of get into this, this is so complicated and confusing because the writ of mandamus, when it was first brought to the court, so when it first sort of entered the criminal justice system. Um, brought by Lance Jasper and his law firm, um, Bell, Reap, and Jasper. I hope I got those names in the correct order. There was a sheriff race going on. So um, Lance Jasper had the ability to get some witnesses on the stand. One of them sure. was Gretchen Webb, the one of the candidates for sheriff opposing Ryan Funk. Um, at the time, I was looking into political financial donations made by members of Lance Jasper's family, since his family is well known to be one of the big influential families in this small rural Montana town. And so what started to emerge is a writ of mandamus, a mandamus process, potentially to impact a sheriff's race. Since then, things have gotten crazier and stranger and yeah. weirder. The... Um, there are two cases here, and and Ali, your your legal background for people that haven't heard past episodes, um, your perspective is absolutely critical since you do have a legal background. Um, you've worked in different capacities within the criminal justice system. A writ of mandamus is something that any jurisdiction can experience, can can have sort of brought to look at what is going on or what is not going on in terms of following law and order and the Constitution. For and tell me if I'm getting any of this wrong. Um, but now we have a situation in which these two writs of mandamus, looking at both the sheriff's office and the deputy county, or not deputy, but the county attorney's office in Mineral County, um, they are looking at things like hiring practices, personnel files, um, policies. Um, there's a lot of things. Brady that, issues. Brady issues. And, and explain what Brady issues are really quick. So let's just pull up the definition right, yes. right up. So... There's no confusion about all of that. I'll let you read it. Okay, so a Brady material or evidence the prosecutor is required to disclose under this rule includes any evidence favorable to the accused. So, and this is in bold, evidence that goes toward negating a defendant's guilt that would reduce a defendant's potential sentence or evidence going to the credibility of a witness. Right, and so for example, regarding the credibility of a witness, any information that can be used for impeachment purposes might discredit that witness in favor of the defendant. For example, if there's a police officer who pulls someone over, but perhaps they haven't uh, met their basic requirements of being a law enforcement officer, 
Oh. Uh, they could talk about that. They could talk about impropriety on the job. So this is where like whether or not there was a mental health evaluation sure. done as part of a hiring practice might come into play exactly. or, um, or past criminal offenses sure. by, by sheriff deputies. Yeah. We've had that as like part of the question. Like if a deputy ever raped someone on duty. Right. Oh, yeah. Little, be, little, little tiny matters like that. Might be an issue. So. Right. Basically, I, I mean, you say it's complicated but it's actually pretty simple as far as what's required of mineral county and the sheriff's office to be brought back into compliance with the rule of law you're right it, uh, that part actually is simple the complication comes in how all of this is is playing out and i've never seen a judge more dismayed yeah we actually have i mean and we we sat and watched a murder trial so two yeah. weeks of judge Manetta and how his demeanor can change over the course of a long trial we are now seeing judge Vanetta in this capacity wondering what the fuck is going on in mineral county and uh, at this point i think you know some cursing is warranted because yeah. we have some of the developments and uh, you know for people that are trying to follow along it might be a little confusing but um the, the mandamus writs are being directed at the office of the sheriff. Not and the person. Not the person and the, the county attorney's office. The office of county attorney, which is, I don't know why that's a surprise to anyone. So I'm a little, the only part that was confusing to me yesterday was why people were confused that it's against the office and not an individual. So one of the lawyers in this case, uh, Jordan Kilby, was trying to make the argument that um, it was warranted for the individual Ryan Funk, so the new sheriff in town, um, to have sort of his own representation, his own legal representation, in part because there, I, I don't even know what the concern is, frankly. Um, the former sheriff, Mike Toth, um, his name did not really come up in this update, although he, from my understanding, is still not in compliance with disclosing passwords to allow Ryan Funk to get into computer systems or you know stuff along those he lines. He will likely have to be subpoenaed. He will likely have to be subpoenaed. Um, we also learned from Deputy County Attorney Wally Congdon that the state prison may have to be subpoenaed to get some pieces of information um, to fill out Wayne Cashman's personnel file. Um, and uh, what was the other institution that may have to be subpoenaed? Post. That's right. Um, one of the one of the delays, according to Wally Congdon, this might have been part of that you missed okay. out on. Um, one of the delays is being referenced in terms of filling out the personnel files. So. Post and the state prison have pieces of information they are waiting on in okay. order to have full, complete personnel so files. The personnel files have not been fully furnished yet. They haven't been furnished, and part of that is because another county attorney, Deborah Jackson, does not want the actual physical files to leave the county courthouse. So, sure. what, I mean, one of the things we have when we're talking about Mineral County is we do have technology issues someone like wally congdon barely can function with email a lot of times his communication is happening over the phone um there's also a question about whether or not the the lawyers that are that have brought this writ th these writs of mandamus are willing to travel to mineral county um to actually r review these personnel files sure. so they don't want to expend the the finance the cost Another they're trying to cut costs well, and another thing that came up, so there's there's additional counsel be, being brought on sure. as well. Yep. 
And you're familiar with uh, that name. Remind Peter? me. Yes. Uh, Lansdale, I believe. Yes. Correct. Uh, yes. So he's a new counsel. I believe. Did you say that he's representing the sheriff's office or? I think that's that's part of the question. Um, there's going to be another in, in two weeks. I think we're going to have another um, status hearing and some of the stuff now because there's questions also of retaliation that are at play. Right, Because Mr. Jasper was said to have been retaliated against. And my understanding, it's allegedly from people within the county attorney's office who have made threats against disbarring Mr. Jasper and made threats against his family Correct. in some way. Correct. That, that seemed to be the nature of the claims being made. So Lance Jasper has stepped back a bit. Another attorney has, be, has become um, involved. And one of the questions brought up by Deputy County Attorney Wally Congdon <clears throat> is whether or not the bill that he saw, so the financial bill, um, actually had Lance Jasper's name on it, and that was an error, according to Jordan Kilby. So part of part of some of the, it seems like um, Wally Congdon doing some damage control in real time about these claims of retaliation were because of, according to Jordan Kilby, a technical error that Lance Jasper's name was included on a bill to the county attorney's office. So Wally Congdon claims the county attorney's office was never communicated with, even though they're the ones that need to pay for the sheriff's office to get additional oh. legal representation, that cost was never oh, run by the deputy or by the county attorney's office. And so sure. you have um, you have Ryan Funk, the new sheriff, at odds with the county attorney's office. And um, as I was sitting there in the courtroom, Wally Congdon was very critical of Ryan Funk. And then Ryan Funk showed up in the middle of this hearing and then mm -hmm. just stood at the door glaring. It was a palpably awkward scene. Um, I don't know where this goes next with um, with what compliance looks like for Mineral County, well, but Vanetta is clearly losing patience. I did hear him say that it's descended into a free-for-all of name-calling and backbiting. Yep, he did. Uh, he he did. think of a number of other words, and that this reflects poorly on Mineral County and the legal process as a whole. Yep. Those are pretty strong words from the judge, and I think he's been truly pretty patient over the last uh, four months that this yes. has been going on. Um, I think it's an unfortunate situation for the citizens and taxpayers of Mineral County, and I think it's an unfortunate situation for the short-staffed people in the county there were over 20 people in that courtroom there were also some I, i'm not sure if there were some fireworks at pre at the earlier county commissioner meeting i know there's some video footage of some questions being brought up by citizens with county commissioners but i think mineral county residents are becoming very engaged now in their local government because they are seeing the <laughs> The consequences of just letting some some people without maybe the proper training or awareness of what needs to happen professionally. I mean, it, it really was a, a quite unprofessional scene in addition to Wally Congdon claiming that his head injury from 19 years ago is why he has pneumonia. So to explain why he was sick as a dog, Wally Congdon did reference the fact that there's some kind of head injury that he sustained about 19 years ago. Somehow that's linked to his pneumonia. I don't know how all this plays out, but it is definitely something to watch and well, to consider. And I remember Judge Vanetta begged counsel to, quote, keep your eye on the focus rather you, than yes. something the effect of devolving into personal attacks. Yes. I mean, he was not too proud to beg, as the song says. Yes. So there are two upcoming hearings, you say? 
There are two upcoming hearings. Um, if I can look back at my notes, I believe we've got April 18th <clears throat> at 1 p.m. That's the status conference. And then a couple days after that, it looks like April 21st at 9 a.m., which is a Friday. Um, that is when the hearing will be for these retaliation claims. The uh, Judge Veneva asked both parties to have everything ready two weeks previous. Um, I, I think he requested, if I if I can recall correctly, that that information be sent ahead of time. He doesn't want any surprises on April twenty sure, first. No sandbagging. Yes, it's correct. Interesting because one of the main issues is as this drags on longer and longer, the expense increases, and and as the judge mentioned, rural counties can't afford that. The $20,000 just to try and uh, yeah. open a county road like we talked about earlier is not an easy expenditure. Maybe some of that $250 million can go to our sister county. Missoula might be not in the best position to help out Mineral County, but no. I think more could absolutely be done to provide some guidance because, holy cow, it is it is truly a different world when you go an hour west on I-90 and you enter this land of mandamus. Mineral I, County. I, I feel bad for everyone over there, though. I mean, it, the county, the government included, I feel like it's it's a pretty tough situation. And I think everyone wants to see this in the rearview mirror and actually see what it would look like. I personally think this might be enhanced by, I know they have limited budgets, but bringing, onboarding some new staff. Yes. Getting some new investigators, possibly another deputy county attorney and and dealing with some of these issues if that's possible because um, they're we, overwhelmed they they are overwhelmed you have now like the head injury that wally referenced and we we know from seeing in person that deborah jackson when not wearing shoes like cannot function in her job well i have a strong appreciation for what uh dev jackson's trying to do she's trying to keep the ship afloat and it's that's got to be a very difficult job someone needs to buy her a comfortable pair of shoes fair we do have a few more things to touch on actually <clears throat> excuse me so as this week was just continuing to just balloon and balloon like spy balloons like a chinese spy balloon over the skies of billings as things were continuing to pile up, I had to um, actually cram a bunch of information into what's going to be posting along with this interview. Okay, so um, the talking may may seem seamless to those that um, are, are listening, but we had a weird little power surge here in the studio and had to take a, a brief pause. We did. We did. And it was actually a very strategic pause because we were able to gather ourselves for the final stretch of this week's week in review. And this hasn't even this this material hasn't even hit the blog yet. This is so fresh and so clean, clean. That's a, I think that's an outcast reference. Mm. That's a hip hop group. It's so fresh and so clean, clean that people listening are going to be hearing it before it even goes out. It's It's that wow. fresh. So. The stuff that I had to squeeze into the final posting that's going to be posting this Sunday um, is all about what's not being disclosed by our county commissioners. More specifically, Josh Slotnick, one of our three county commissioners, he, he didn't really give a heads up as explicitly maybe as he thought he should about being tied to a project that's requesting a variance. So I'm going to read something from the Missoula Current. Go check it out. Missoula Current. Read Martin Kidston's work. 
He has me blocked on Twitter, but I still think it's funny that I uh, help sort of drive you his traffic. You can't block someone from reading when they're your like most like <laughs> avid viewer. I am I'm very dedicated to the Missoula Current, and this comes from the Missoula Current from a article titled Missoula County Acknowledges Lack of Disclosure When Approving Project Tied to Commissioner. So from the link. Missoula County on Thursday confirmed that one of its three elected commissioners is a partner in a project seeking a variance request that would allow a business to operate in conjunction with an agricultural operation off 3rd Street along with future residential development. Members of the Planning and Zoning Commission, along with Missoula County Commissioners Dave Strohmeyer and Juanita Vero, recommended the county approve the variance request at a meeting on February 9th. But during the meeting... County officials never disclosed the fact that fellow commissioner Josh Slotnick was a partner in the project the county was recommending for approval. Slotnick was not present at the meeting in which the recommendation was given. The Missoula Current didn't report Slotnick's involvement. Quote, the presentation by WGM, who was representing the project, did mention his spouse by name in the name of their business a few times. Missoula County Commissioner, no, Missoula County Communications Director, Allison Franz, told the Missoula Current, but no one specifically disclosed his involvement, and we should have for transparency's sake. So that was uh, Allison Franz, the comms person, doing the heavy lifting for Dave Strohmeyer, who should have up front just disclosed oh. it so that there was no issue or problems to do some kind of PR damage control over. So um, moving on from that quote, this is me now writing at the blog. Sending the comms personnel and friends out to cover for something Slotnick should have just disclosed up front in the first place is pretty low. Since Josh Slotnick is also a poet, and since I like to collect the books of our local officials, I pulled out Josh's poetry book, Home Farm, and looked at the table of contents. The cluster of poems about pigs at the end of this collection seemed promising, and I wasn't disappointed. Do you remember when Josh Slotnick was getting himself into some trouble in 2008? I do. I remember reading about that. I've been to the Peas Farm. I have too. It's a, it's a wonderful place, actually, um, doing some great work, educating kids, producing food. But technically, you're not supposed to fire a gun within city limits. That happened um, in order to make some pigs into bacon. And so for that to happen, there was bullets involved and the firing of those bullets and the pigs died. And that was a problem because a new neighbor out there was like, hey, you know, I'm calling the police. And so it's it's uh, it's interesting to me because um, the way that that sometimes writers process stuff is by writing. Right. You're a writer. I'm a yeah. writer. Well, Josh wrote some poems about pigs. Mm. I know. I know. Poetry isn't everyone's cup of tea, but check this out. This is the first in his series of um, pig poems called Bad Judgment. This is pigs number one, Bad Judgment. And this, it's the first little section. Fall, 2008. Okay, I'm going to read it dramatically. Are you ready? I am. Quick, after the second gunshot, I hold the phone out an arm's length. Any closer and the shrieking could pierce an eardrum. Why? Why? Just answer me that. The neighbor yells into her phone from behind her picture window across the street. Why did you murder the baby pigs in front of their mother? The phone rings again. The police, she had to call, 
and again, the newspaper, and again, the mayor's office. So as, as a poem, um, it doesn't really rhyme, which, you know, poems don't have to rhyme. Back in the days of free verse, all kinds of stuff that was brought into the, the world of poetry didn't rhyme. Um, as a fellow poet, I'd say this poem really just does not interest me other than it's a, like a historical artifact from a current county commissioner. So that I find fascinating. The poem itself kind of sucks. I, I find it deplorable, personally. I... I I'm, I'm being good. You're, you're being at a strategic loss of words and it's, it's, it's cool it's because it's not strategic. It's, it, I am at a loss for words. So maybe you need to understand about pig responsibility because that's, that's the name of another poem. And, and so listeners are getting, they're getting a little bit of this poem now and trust me, we'll, we'll wrap this up here quick, but, um, this will be redeemed Ali in the song that will conclude this podcast episode, but here's a little, here's a little, um, a little bit of information, so to speak from a poem called pig responsibility by Josh Slotnick, a law enforcement cruiser glided through the farm's open swinging truck gate stopped halfway into a U-turn front wheels curved like the corner of an upturned lip frozen in sneer. The tinted passenger side window buzzed down. The cowboy behind silver mirrored shades with a state livestock enforcement star on his breast pocket wasn't here for directions. I read about your project here in the paper, the state livestock enforcement officer said. Put it on my to-do list. It's just taken me a while. You know, I'm the only guy for half the damn state. I'm not going to write you up, but you can't feed garbage to them pigs anymore. He nodded his head in the direction of the pig pen. Take this up with my boss if you like, but as of right now, you can't feed any more garbage to them pigs, you understand? I don't want to get into a big conversation about it. Take it up with the office. The window buzzed up. The cruiser roared a lion-like yawn finished the U-turn through the gate, disappeared towards town. Whoa. Was that a poem? Yeah. Yeah, baby, that was a poem. You didn't feel that? I, I, I felt things. Well, I felt that the use of the word them in the vernacular of the livestock guy is a glorious example of elitism and how Josh perceives the the actual spoken language coming from a member of authority that he clearly doesn't have much respect for. Maybe that's why former Sheriff TJ McDermott and Josh Slotnick got into some interesting back and forth, you know, over, over the last few months when it comes to money and safety, diversion programs. So right now, what listeners can't see is the glorious control you're exhibiting right now. I can tell just because of facial features um, now you're sort of holding your brow and shaking your head and I can just tell there's so much wonderful restraint being, being, we're going to, we're going to move on. We're going to wrap this up. Okay. That sounds good. Because there is a song called pigs and dogs that we need to get to. No, it's, I hate animal cruelty more than words can say. Okay. And I'm glad you said that because this is, this is what I want to end on. Okay. 
there's a documentary called Don't no, Fuck With Cats. I don't. We're not going to get into the details of no. the documentary because no. you're, tr you're triggered enough. I just yeah. want it put out there that when people mess with animals, it's almost like worse than messing with humans. For a lot of people, you're exhibiting some of this behavior right now that it's a bit more, um, it just, it digs deeper, it seems like, for some people when animals are involved. So a fucked up theme for the episode to have. I did not choose the theme. We are merely trying to identify and report and comment on the things happening in our community. And that's what we're doing. This has been a long, interesting episode. We've packed a lot of stuff in, um, even some poetry. I did not intend to read that second poem, and I feel like you, you're going to make me pay for that after, yeah, after we stop recording. I think so. I, I'm kind of worried. That's cruel and unusual punishment. So I'm going to find some ways now to kind of stretch out the recording so that I don't have to hit stop yeah. and deal with any consequences afterwards. Um, are there any other things we can talk about in order to just stretch out the time so I can avoid consequences? You're not helping by not... Balloons. Balloons, yeah. Not assassination balloons like Mr. Rogers or... Um, how about thought balloons? How about the thought balloons that thought emerge balloons. over people's what heads? What do you think might be in my thought balloon? Um, hit stop, Travis, <laughs> and you just wait and see. Yeah. I, I think that's... Well, I do have to hit stop at some point, and I think that point is coming here very quickly. Uh, the song is coming quickly as well. I recorded it earlier today. I had fun recording it. Maybe I shouldn't have fun doing that kind of stuff when it comes to the material we've covered. But, you know, as this Scrooge McDuck might say, or this robot that my 12-year-old created, um, this sort of, you know, I'm coming to replace all your jobs. I'm yeah. powered by AI. That's a scary AI robot. It is. Well, I mean, his mouth, or his, I'm already using personification. No, it's, it's open, gaping hole um, that's not a human mouth is a bit terrifying. Less terrifying, though, as other narrative devices are being developed. I'm, I'm excited about video. I'm excited about ways to try and, and get more sustainable in telling local stories. I think there's a, there continues to be a niche unexplored by so many um, other, other would-be local content creators that, that we're going to keep doing this work so thank you for rising to the occasion the way this week ended it was not easy for either of us i think to get to these microphones today but but we did we did we did you can check out the blog zoomcron.com i'll be posting a bunch of stuff next week usually 7 a.m monday through friday the podcast posts 8 a.m. on Sunday, if we're able to get it. Honestly, the, the two weeks in which technological challenges were, were emerging, it, was, it really was a miracle. Yeah, it was. It truly was miraculous that we're able to get this content out. If you want to reach out, you can reach out to me at willskink at yahoo.com. That's my email. Yahoo means I'm old. I'm an old person. Um, you can also go to the about page at zoomcron.com to provide a monetary donation. That's right. Help out local storytelling, local independent journalism. It really does help. And I appreciate all of the money, all of the donations. I've actually received a good amount um, over the last couple months, and it, it, it's incredibly encouraging. So thank you so much if you've been one of those folks out there. Oh, I used the F word, folks. I was trying to, I, I think I went the entire episode without using that word. Thank you everyone out there for providing donations, providing insights, emails, tips, that was one of the tips I got is to add a tip function uh, somehow. 
um, and we'll continue evolving and growing with your help, with your support. Thank you for listening. Ali, thank you for joining and helping me understand what the heck is going on in Zoomtown. Thank you. Tune in next week. Adios. Thanks for tuning in to another packed episode of Zoomcron Week in Review. Like I always try to do, here's a tune. I'm calling this one Pigs and Dogs. Shoot the pigs, shoot the dogs. Bury canines, eat the hogs. Puppet play, is it good? Entering Fred's neighborhood. He's no dick, Florida man. A little creepy, a little bland. He doesn't limp or share his bed. Like with Stryker, who now is dead. Shoot the pigs and shoot the dogs. Bury canines, eat the hogs. Puppet play, is it good? Entering Fred's neighborhood. He's no Josh, poet guy. Transparency, it slipped his mind. Is that me? Oh yes it is. Now can I get my variants? Yeah. Shoot the pigs and shoot the dogs. Bury canines, eat the hogs. Puppet play, is it good? Entering Fred Rogers' neighborhood. Tune in next week. There are things that we will see. And then I'll try and write some words. No matter how absurd it is here in Zoomtown, how absurd it can be. February 24th especially, you tried to get me. But I got back from Mineral County in one piece so that I can continue telling you out there beyond Zoomtown, beware. Western Montana, it's almost like a state of mind. Tune in next week for Zoomcron Week in Review. I'm your host, Travis williams skink Matier, joined by Allie Harrison. We do our best. Thank you for tuning in.